Hi, my name is Sacred Fisher, host of the Big Fish Podcast, and today I am absolutely delighted to introduce to you uh, my brilliant guest, Mariel Davis, who I have the great pleasure of also calling my cousin-in-law. Mariel is the co-founder and chief customer officer of Spoken, which is a uh, platform for building connection and community on remote teams. Prior to her work at Spoken, she actually led communications at Education for Employment, which is um, an organization named one of the top social startups in the world. Whoa. Mariel has extensive experience leading global teams and has worked and lived in Egypt, Yemen, Qatar, and Palestine. Um, She has earned her bachelor's degree from this place called Columbia University, you may or may not have heard of it, and her master's in management from the London School of uh, Economics. Muriel, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Well, first, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And I am doing really well. It is Friday, and I am really ready for the weekend. You just came back from an epic trip to Egypt. What were you doing there? Yes. So uh, dual purposes. Part of it was just personal. I was going to a wedding. Uh, but also the majority of our team is actually based in Egypt. And so we got to have a great team offsite. Uh, I got whooped in a game of paddle, which is a lot like pickleball. It was my first time. So I, I'm hoping to improve. That's awesome. Um, and how often are you going back to Egypt? I know obviously your husband's from Egypt. Um, so how often are you guys making that trip back there to, to visit folks? couple times a year. We're really fortunate in the ability to do that. New York, where I live, is the one place or one of two places in the U.S. that has nonstop flights to Cairo. And so, uh, yeah, we go a couple times a year. And honestly, I wish it were more. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, well, thank you very much. I know you like you literally just got back this week. So thank you for, for carving out a time on a Friday afternoon to speak with me. I'm very appreciative of that. Um, so taking a step back, obviously, you and I have known each other, I think at this point, it's been about 16 years since I've been, <laughs> I know, crazy, right? In the Fisher family. We're so old. Uh, I know, right? Um, and I've always been so fascinated by your background. So for the listeners, can you just share a little bit more about your backdrop, you know, where you're from and any details that you think kind of helped you shape your career path and where you are today? Sure. I, I guess I, you know, it doesn't take many, uh, I guess it, do, it doesn't take a lot uh, to see that I don't necessarily have a typical background for a tech founder. But I do think that something that, you know, helps there is that I, from a very young age, was a challenge junkie. And so when I went to university, I was I was really looking for something that would stretch me and something that would kind of show me my limits. And for whatever reason, I decided to take Arabic. Uh, and what happened is that the classes that I wanted to enroll in were oversubscribed. So I couldn't get into classes. And, you know, a lot of other students in a similar position just uh, decided to enroll in classes over the summer. And I thought, you know, if I could go to the Middle East and actually take classes there, wouldn't that be better than enrolling in a class in a U.S. university over the summer? So I uh, looked at my bank account, looked at some tickets, and uh, after my freshman year of college, just kind of up and moved to Egypt for a couple months. Uh, And from there, one thing turned into another, spent the next several years of my university experience focusing on Arabic, the Middle East, and North Africa, and had the great pleasure to get to live in a lot of those places as well. So spent some time in Yemen, spent some time in Palestine, um, spent a year in Qatar. And just overall, it's been a, a phenomenal experience. Um, I feel incredibly grateful to have had the opportunity to get exposure to a geography in a region that a lot of Mar- Americans maybe 
have misperceptions about. And, uh, you know, especially now as, as a founder, right, there's just so much phenomenal talent there. Mm-hmm. I feel incredibly lucky to get to work with colleagues from that region. In terms of kind of what, what happened next, uh, when I graduated from university, I did a couple different things. It was an AmeriCorps for a little while, um, but ultimately ended up linking up with a philanthropist who was scaling a network of, of social impact organizations across the Middle East or North Africa. And I had started working for that based out of New York. But given the time zones, it was pretty miserable to, to wake up at six in the morning for board meetings in Yemen. And I just got tired of working in a place that was so far away from the people I was supposed to be serving and from my colleagues themselves. So I kind of self-relocated to Egypt, more or less forced my my organization to accept me just working from the region. And uh, yeah, I spent a couple of years working there and, and that's where I met my co-founder. That's incredible. See, what is so interesting to me, because when I was in my, my young 20s, uh, very much so just stayed colored inside the lines. Um, you know, that, that sense of adventure, you know, your adventurous spirit and your, I probably would have been like, well, you know, uh, this is the way that I'm supposed to go. Like me just going abroad to London was like the, the internal conversation that I had with myself to, to make that decision. Right. You would have think, thought it was like the biggest life decision I could have ever made. So why, where do you think that adventurous spirit comes from? Part of it might actually be family. Um, so, Sager, you know, because you you married into our, our family. I, you know, my my grandmother, my maternal grandmother. You know, when during World War II, she served in France. Um, my own mother, when she was I think nineteen or twenty, was one of the first cohorts of the Peace Corps. She went from uh, New York City to the Fijian Islands, which she didn't know where they were. She thought they were in the Caribbean. They weren't. Uh, and so, I guess I was really fortunate, first of all, to grow up with models of women who who went somewhere. Mm. Uh, and I'm incredibly fortunate to have had that for a model. I think the other thing is I, I think that there is a type of responsibility. I was the 9-11 generation. Mm. And so, you know, I was one of my first days in high school when when the towers came down. And there was just something about the, the way that that was covered in the US media that didn't sit right with me. And mm. I felt like, wow, if I have the opportunity to go, maybe to learn the language, to, to understand more about the culture, um, that's a rare opportunity to have. And I, I just wanted to seize that. Yeah. So would you say that was maybe one of the catalysts? Because, you know, so many folks, I studied Spanish in high school, um, you know, French, and obviously, like, you you really don't find someone, uh, very few people just decide to study Arabic. So would you say that that was maybe sort of the catalyst for that? decision to to study that and embrace that language? Absolutely. It's, you know, hugely important. I think it's incredibly important for Americans to have a better sense of the region and of the language. Um, frankly, also, like I said, I was just a challenge junkie. I heard it was really hard and I wanted to see if I could do it. And my goodness, it is really hard. Um, I learned I was not a natural linguist, so it has been an uphill battle the whole way, but a, a beautiful battle. It's a great language. So is it something that you still are actively studying or do you feel like your your relationship with your colleagues and whatnot is enough to kind of keep you up to speed and um, keep you practicing enough? Oh, Sager, this is one of my greatest life regrets. I feel like I, I understand far less Arabic now than I did when I was in my early mm. 20s. I don't know if it's me getting older or uh, or just me not being very disciplined about it, but I just sort of, when I think about all the things I could be doing if I didn't work a ton, I'm like, ah. Oh, I'd really be studying more Arabic. I know. Well, I mean, 
my biggest, I was talking actually to a woman that I was running with this morning and she was talking about her, her amazing trip that she had to Paris and how she's, she's fluent in French. I'm like, man, that's, that's my biggest regret that I didn't keep up with, with Spanish that actually came relatively easy to me, uh, you know, and I, I think that you're absolutely right is that the United States, we definitely, um, are, could do a better job, um, in, in keeping up and, and, you know, um, getting to know other cultures and immersing ourselves in, in there and, and seeing things through their perspective. So I'm, you are definitely, um, shining proof that how powerful that can be. Um, so I guess just going into, to Spoken, can you tell me more about it and the mission behind the company and how did this all come to fruition? Like where, where, I mean, it takes a differently wired person to just say, and I'm sure it wasn't this simple, I'm just going to start a company <laughs> and here we go. Sure. I it, it took many twists and turns. I want to spare you the, the whole uh, crazy pathway that it took. But basically today, Spoken is uh, a platform that, that brings human connection to remote and hybrid work. Um, in short, you can think of us as an employee engagement platform. And the way that we create this type of human connection is by by taking the types of of mediums that people love to use in their everyday lives, just as individuals, you know, things that help them feel connected to other people, that help them tell stories, that help them feel belonging in their personal lives. And we sort of try to reimagine those mediums within a company context. So this is things like, you know, Instagram-like stories within your company or internal podcasts from your company's leader or group video stories that help you like celebrate these really special moments in your life as an employee. And, you know, the question of how we got here, it was a very, very messy journey. Uh, if I had to, to drop the major breadcrumbs, uh, Spoken actually started out as a consumer app. Um, we had a platform that had partnerships with the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the Financial Times. And we were trying to narrate their evergreen articles, those articles that, you know, they're not breaking news. They're things that are interesting, but you don't always get the time to read in, in you know, right when they're released. And we thought we would narrate these articles and make them available to people on an app. Um, I still think this is a great idea, by the way. And there are companies that do it now, but, you know, they do it far better than we were able to. And it was just really hard for us to acquire users. Um, my co-founder and I were, were living in Egypt at the time, and uh, it was very difficult for us to, to crack user acquisition. But something interesting happened when we looked at the data. We saw that of all the different types of content people could listen to, the content that they really gravitated towards wasn't you know, social stuff. It wasn't science. It wasn't philosophy or politics. It was stuff on management, communications, leadership. Basically, the how do I do my job better? And we sort of looked at, looked at this data, looked at each other and went, it, this sort of seems like a B2B product. Like this sort of seems like corporate learning and development, just in audio. So we had assumed that someone, some company must already have done that. And then we looked at the market and realized actually they hadn't. So we, we pivoted the business <laughs> in that direction. Uh, and that's when my co-founder and I decided, wow, okay, if we've got a, a B2B company, um, that means B2B sales. And that means, you know, at the time, this was pre-COVID, we've got to be in the United States. And so we made the horrifically timed decision to, just my co-founder and I, relocate to the U.S. Uh, and this was one week before COVID came. And so uh, lots of lots of things that we probably would have done differently from a timing perspective. Uh, but, 
you know, it, it ended up working very well. We, we relocated to the US and then everything stopped, mm. right? With COVID, you know, if you're if you're an audio company during COVID, you go, ooh, this seems like not a good time for us uh, because, right, all, all the moments that, you know, audio learning and development might've been a good fit for, you know, your gym, you're, you're going on your commute, you're doing your school pickup, all of the moments that our product might've been used all of a sudden disappeared. And we thought, wow, we're goners. There's no way we're going to be able to do anything. Um, but from there, something really interesting happened. We, we had had a couple of companies using us and they started asking us a question. They said, hey, listen, you know, you've got, you've got content from Harvard Business School on here. You've got content from MIT. But, you know, what I actually want to do is, con- is upload our own content, make it available to our employees. They're like, you know, can, can you do that? And we said, yeah, sure. Like an audio file is an audio file. It doesn't really matter where it comes from. And so this little tiny feature that we built just kind of as an afterthought, letting companies upload their own content, ended up being this incredibly popular thing. Because when companies went remote during COVID, they lost those in-person meetings. And you know they had trouble getting folks on Zoom all the time. People had Zoom burnout, Zoom fatigue. There were caregivers that didn't have you know, steady schedules. And they needed like an asynchronous communications uh, capability. And as it turns out, an internal podcast is a really, really good way to get in contact with your employees when everybody's working remotely. And so Spoken turned into an internal podcasting company. At the time, we were very lucky to have gotten into Y Combinator that really helped to accelerate that growth. And uh, so, yeah, the, you know, the, the sort of genesis of Spoken as an internal podcasting company, and really what we saw is that internal podcasting is really great for executives and for leaders that want to, to share nuanced messages with employees in a medium that employees love. But at the same time, there is a real need in companies not just for that feeling of trust and affinity with leaders, but for employees to feel trust and affinity and connection to their own colleagues. And no company is going to have uh, 500 or 1,000 internal podcasters. No one would ever like listen to that amount of content, and no one has the time to make it. And so we figured, you know, we need to really find a different format, something else that makes employees feel like they're connected but that's also realistic for people who are working remotely. Like Zoom happy hours are pretty awkward. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people want to show up for them. You know, it's, it doesn't work for everyone's personality type, doesn't work for everyone's schedule. So we, we started kind of looking around, are there other formats, other things that people are already doing, already gravitating towards in their personal lives that help them share stories about what's important to them? And that's how we kind of grew more into an employee engagement platform with content formats that are kind of like Instagram stories. I don't want to go too too far into the weeds on it, but uh, basically it's group storytelling and video. You mentioned something about looking at the data. So would you say that that, are you a very data-driven person? I think my co-founder perhaps is more than me. Um, I think, frankly, when you're operating at such an, like in, in a very early stage startup, some decisions you can make on the basis of data and some are going to be on instinct mm. because you simply don't have enough data for real statistical significance. So what you're looking for mostly is directionality. So, you know, I, I think that that's, you know, we we saw the data move in a certain direction. It would be uh, unfair to say that it was a fully data-driven decision. Gotcha. And also I'm thinking, no, I, I saw this post somewhere and it was this graph that shows, you know, how much time 
you spend with your parents after your 20s and how much time you spend with your kids after they turn 20. And then it showed, uh, you know, just how much time you spend with your colleagues. And I think for this very reason, what you're doing is so profoundly important because you spend so much time at work. Like it is, you know, the vast majority of the way you spend your life, arguably, right? And I think ultimately, like, there's so much value in people feeling seen and understood and welcomed in in the workforce. And so I think why that's what you're doing is like, very groundbreaking, because people aren't even really having to be honest, like, I don't think people make enough time for those conversations when they're in the office, physically in the office. So to bring that to a platform in a digestible way, meeting people where they are, I think is is hugely impactful for a lot of folks, especially the ones that, you know, don't want to go to the to the required happy hour and just have a different way of expressing themselves. Um, so to that end, can you share um, some success stories or case studies of how Spoken has impacted businesses and, and their employees? Absolutely. Um, and, and let me just quickly say, if I may, uh, I mean, to inform the products, we had hundreds of research conversations. And one that really sticks out to me that I think encapsulates what you just described is that someone once said, you know, they were, they were a recent hire. They were hired remotely in their company. And they said, I am basically invisible. Hmm. The only thing that people know about me is a green dot on Slack. Horrible. And to yeah, feel that way. You're right. Like we are we spend so much of our lives with our colleagues. And at the end of the day, yeah, working is about a paycheck. That paycheck is really important. But it's also about something else, or it has the potential to also be about something else. And frankly, it's in companies' best interest for their employees to feel like their jobs are great social uh contexts for them as well. Um, you know, to that end, I, I guess I'd break down some of the the use cases almost into two things, two two buckets. The first is creating connection with leadership, and you know the, the way that we've done that, right, has just been these internal podcasts. So at companies like Udemy or Sneak, the, the CEOs themselves have their own podcasts, and the point of this is really humanizes leaders within the company, so that you know instead of in an all hands meeting or a town hall where where things tend to be quite formal, they tend to be a little bit stiffer. Like these are conversations. I think I think the thing that people love about podcasts is personalities come through. You can be casual. You can be yourself. You know, the president of Udemy tells dad jokes on his podcast. And the point of that is, is yeah, there's an, always an official purpose. It's uh, talk about the strategy, introduce new leaders, et cetera. But it's also just build trust, you know, show that you're a human being in a way that you no longer get the chance to do as a leader because you're not walking the halls. You're not in the elevator with people anymore. Um, and so I think that that's, that's sort of one area that's been really powerful. But the second is helping employees feel that connection to each other. Mm. And, and something that we've been thinking a lot about recently is how to help in, empower employees as culture carriers and as content creators within their companies. So what can we do to make it really easy and enticing for them to share what's important to them and to participate in conversations that are important to the culture of the company. So for example, at, at Robinhood, they wanted to um, run a program about for, for managers about really what leadership values mattered at the company. And so they created a, a spoken story, which is really this group storytelling format, where instead of on, you know, as on Instagram, only you own your story, you're the only person who can contribute to it on a spoken story. 
Uh, multiple people can contribute to the same story, and every story has a specific theme. So anyway, Robin Hood, I created a story about, hey, what's the meaning of leadership? And they had multiple employees just sort of recording a 30-second clip about what leadership meant to them in the context of the company or who a leader was that they really admired. There's another company, ShipBob, for instance, that actually fits very well right now. It's Women's History Month. They said, hey, you know, employees, tell us a story about a woman who really impacted your career and sort of how that's changed your life or your trajectory. And that kind of group storytelling is really, really powerful because it's very easy to do. It takes 30 seconds of your time. And you're able to have control over the message in a way that, you know, is harder to do when you're in a live session. Um, it's even hard for extroverts to to kind of speak out in meetings, I think. And and so, you know, we just wanted to create this format that that gave people the opportunity and the platform to express themselves, but in a space that felt sort of safe for them. So those are a couple of examples. I think, you know, there's not a lot of silver linings to COVID at all, but one of them is that people started realizing that the the line between, you know, work and your home life is is becoming, you know, blended. And it, there was this, I think, for so long, this, you know, need to feel like you needed to make a very hard, draw a very hard line in the sand between your work life and your, your personal life. I would never, you know, even remotely begin to think about sharing something that like, you know, a vulnerable situation or anything like that. But then COVID happened and it's like, we were, it was like this universal experience. We're all in this together. We don't have childcare. Like, and it was like a very, in that way, you know, a, a bonding time for a lot of folks where it's like, oh, we all are humans. Oh, okay, cool. All right, good, good. We're all. And so I think what you're doing is, you know, just taking that and building on that connection that so many of us have have been missing out on in the workplace. Um, and I think it's, you know, I, I love that you guys are the work that you're doing. And it's been so nice to see this take off um, the way that it has. And, you know, obviously, there have been some challenges, right? So in faced in growing the company um, and scaling. So how have you specifically overcome them? Because I'm sure there was many nights where like, what are we doing? <laughs> So many nights of that. If if I were going to draw a through line between every single one of those moments, and they happen continuously, I think the through line I would draw is listen. It has been the thing that has gotten us out of very difficult situations and has pointed to a path forward many, many different times and in many different contexts. So like I said, even you know with the idea that we changed from being a, a B2C company to a B2B company, what we did was listen to data about, hey, like where are people gravitating towards? Where are users gravitating? Um, when, you know, and, and again, that was like when everything collapsed with COVID, what we had to do was listen to our customers who said, hey, listen, the product that you sold us, great, okay, it's fine, but we have a new need. Can you fit this need? Um and again, it's, it's just listening to what people want and then really digging in and asking more questions and also asking the tough questions that you don't really want to ask. Like, hey, we think we have an idea. Tell me all the things that are really wrong about this idea. Tell me why I shouldn't do this because you are doing me a favor if you save me the time and effort of, of going in a direction that, it, that isn't going to pay off. Um, likewise, you know, frankly, it, it is a challenging period right now. You know, our customer base... Uh, over the past year, we 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 serve primarily hyper growth tech companies. They have gone through a huge, huge amount of disruption over the past year, 
And so we, again, have had to listen to these or or fortunately have chosen to listen to our customers um, and hear what's realistic for them. Like They have new priorities now. They have new problems. And we're lucky to be in a situation where we're able to help them solve those problems. But I think at, at every step of that way, the, the sort of crisis upon crisis upon crisis that is the startup journey, the thing that has been mo- most helpful is asking our users, asking our customers, what are the problems and challenges you're facing right now? How can we help you solve those? And I think you just nailed like what working for a startup truly encompasses is you you get to be small and nimble and really have a pulse on customers. Um, and for someone who works for a startup, I, I love that about um, my company and that you really get to listen and uh, have that one-on-one connection with your customers. And, um, you know, obviously as companies grow, that connection tends to be lost. And so I know that that's something that is, you know, profoundly important for us to maintain. And I'm sure that that's the same for for you folks as well. Yeah, I think honestly, the the best days are days that I spend a pretty significant amount of time on the phone with either customers or or people who are near customers, advisors, prospects, just hearing like what are the, what problems are going on right now? Like what is top of mind for you? Um, because yeah, I mean th- those are where the best product ideas come from. You know, people telling you what they need or people simply using your product in a way that you didn't expect, and then you go, huh, right. That's a really good idea. That's probably a better idea than what we were working on. <laughs> I love it when that happens. Um, so what advice would you give to entrepreneurs looking to venture down the path of a startup? If you could spare them any of the the headache that you had to go through, what wisdom would you impart to them? I don't know if I'd call it wisdom yet, but I'll I'll share some impressions. The first is not to take yourself out of the game prematurely. Uh, the pathway from, for example, a nonprofit to a tech startup is, it's it's not as though there's a well-trodden path there. Mm-hmm. And I simply would not have thought that my, my past career had prepared me or at all qualified me to do what I'm doing now. I was really fortunate to have someone sort of tap me on the shoulder and say, oh no, I think you're wrong. Like you really need to do a startup. I see something in you that is an excellent fit for the type of work that is required in a startup. Mm. And so I would encourage people, even if you think you come from a background that disqualifies you, or even if you have major doubts about your ability to actually perform once you get going, give it a try anyway. I think especially like this is a phenomenal time to do a startup. You know, the funding environment is really wonky for folks in in the later stages, but wow, like this is a great time to start something. So that's what I'd say first. I think secondly, just be ready for a really long slog. Um, I'm fortunate that I didn't, I guess I, I didn't think too much about how life consuming this would be before I did it. Um, and I'm actually glad for that because I I think I might've psyched myself out if I had thought too much about it, Mm -hmm. but I do think it's important to be realistic. And, you know, if you've got a partner, if you've got a family, like have those conversations about how your life might change. Um, and I guess the final thing I would do is say there, there are a lot of really hard days and something that I have found to be particularly helpful on those days where you've frankly, feel horrible. And you're like, what am I doing? This is failing. This is never going to work. 
I found it really, really comforting to still think about the things that I'm learning and think about how much, even in failure, I'm going to grow from this. And that has just been an incredibly, incredibly comforting and uplifting thought on very difficult days. So much of what you just said truly resonated with me because I had, you know, before I got into um, IT and, and cybersecurity, I had gone back and I had gotten my master's in education administration. And when I just kind of, you know, met the fork in the road and I was like, well, I, I can't leave. I can't jump ship. I've invested, you know, my education and, and five years working at a, at a boarding school and I can't abandon ship. Like, what does that look like? And all it took was that one person being like, why can't you? In my mind, I was like, oh, I can't, I can't change course because I've invested so much time. Like, what, is, what does that even mean? Like, looking back, I'm like, what is, okay. Like, so if you're not happy and if your current career path isn't fulfilling and it's like, who's to say you can't take that leap of faith? And, and sometimes all it takes is that tap on the shoulder saying, yep, I've got you. Like, it will be hard and there'll be days where you'll be, you know, really questioning what, what you're doing. But um, who's to say you can't do it, right? Like, and I think that's so uh, powerful. Yeah, Sigur, I don't know about you, but having, it sounds like both of us were very fortunate to have people in our lives who gave us that tap. And something that I've been reflecting a lot on recently is, you know, how can I be that person for someone else? Mm. I, it, like I said, I last episode, I'm like, if anyone's even remotely interested in, in exploring this career, I'm like, I am a piranha. I'm like, what can I do? What information can I share? Blah, blah, like, you know, a million miles an hour, because if I can, you know, bring anyone into the fold, because uh, it's honestly the best decision that I've ever made. But at the time, I, I had no idea. And it was such a scary step to take, especially given the investment that I had made in, in my education and, and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I, I hear you 100%. Um, can you share any, you know, exciting new developments or plans that you have down the road for Spoken? What's what's kind of next for you guys? Sure, it's not too far down the road. We're a, a couple of weeks away from from our next release, which is why, you know, your listeners won't tell, but I have huge bags under my eyes because <laughs> it's been pretty intense. But what, what I alluded to earlier in the episode is something, you know, it's a very difficult time right now for our customer base. Mm. They are facing really significant financial issues. Um, people teams at at startups and growth stage companies are having to do so much more with less. And you know, it's been my impression of, of from from working with these folks for several years, people really want to do well by their employees. And they really want to continue investing in great employee experiences and learning and growth, even if they don't have a ton of resources. And so what we've sort of decided to do is really simplify our platform and, and kind of create a much more streamlined version of it that frankly is a heck of a lot more affordable, but it also really directly responds to what uh, our customer base is telling us right now, which is, hey, listen, I've got really big goals for employee engagement and I've got really big goals for learning and development and I've got really big goals for um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, or for my onboarding process, but I have no resources and I have no bandwidth. And so what we've done is just released a, a product or we're about to release a product that makes it super simple for these companies to tap their own employees as content creators, right? So creating great, you know, tapping five employees to create 30 seconds of great content for your new hires about what it's, you know, what is it like to work for this company and what do you really need to know in your first week? Or tapping, you know, your five top managers to share 30 seconds of tips 
things that are real feedback hacks for doing performance reviews. Or, you know, for Women's History Month, tapping, you know, 50, 60 people to share a story about that woman who made such a big difference in their lives. So we've made it very simple for folks to create those kinds of stories. And then crucially, to just share them wherever they want. You know, share this story in your Slack so people can view it there. Share it on your website so it's great for your employer brand. Share it on LinkedIn so job candidates can get a better sense of what it's like to work for your companies. So that's what's coming next, and I'm, I'm very excited about it. That's really cool. And you know what? I think the the great resignation didn't come out of nowhere, and I think companies that are not willing to make some sort of investment um, in something like your platform, whether it's using it formally or just trying to bring more people into the fold, whether they're remote or, or quite frankly, going into the office, they're they're really missing out. And it's going to be really hard to, to keep folks long term and keep them engaged and to keep them happy um, in the workforce. Um, so I think that now more than ever, what you're doing is really important um, and really fascinating. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think, it, you know, Employees are watching. It's it's in really difficult times that the the real colors of a company show, and so these are the moments when employees are seeing, you know, rubber hits the road. Our company talks a lot about culture, talks a lot about growth opportunities here. Are they delivering on that? And we think there are a lot of creative, sort of low budget ways that companies can can do that and can really meet and exceed the expectations of employees. So we're very excited to be a part of that. Yeah. And you had mentioned, obviously, it's so important to have have people in your quarter and, and, and mentors and people that are advocating and, and see something in you do that you might not necessarily see in yourself. So for people out there that you know don't necessarily have that relationship with someone, how would you recommend, say, for instance, someone try to engage with you? Because I think there's a lot of people that go about it the wrong way. They just link, reach out on LinkedIn, they send this message, and they just expect that this complete stranger is going to, you know, help them carve out their, you know, the next 10 years of their life. So how would you recommend building and fostering those relationships? I'm going to give some counterintuitive advice or advice that perhaps goes against the the norm. I think that most of the advice I've I've read on building your network and and sort of finding advisors or mentors focuses a lot on um you know reciprocity. Share what you can give to the other person. I frankly always found this phenomenally different or sorry, phenomenally difficult advice to follow, um, especially when I was early in my career. I and I, it actually dissuaded me from reaching out when I really should have. Mm. And so I, I think this, this piece of advice might come especially for people who are early in their career who might not have a lot of confidence or who might find it harder to identify areas that they could provide sort of reciprocal value to a potential advisor or mentor. And I would say this, um, I think a highly personalized note where that shows that you really want to connect with this one person in particular and why. Mm. I find it very hard to believe that people will read that and not respond. And the reason I find it hard to believe is that I have had the the experience myself of reaching out cold to folks and just saying, hey, listen, I heard you on this podcast. I read this article that you wrote, and it really resonated with me because of XYZ. Do you have 15 minutes that I might be able to ask you about X, Y, and Z related to your area of expertise? I would be so grateful. And I just found found that, you know, flattery goes a long way, Mm -hmm. but also being really specific, show that you did the work 
I think that that works really, really well. And to any listener that might be interested in, in making the move into non into startups um, or applying to Y Combinator or, or doing uh, anything related to HR tech or work tech, please reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn. I do respond. So uh, yeah, I, please consider me a resource to anyone who's listening. That's great. That's wonderful advice. The other thing for me that I'll add to that is um, what I love or I value a lot in folks, and it took me so long to get to this point, um, is just vulnerability, raising your hand and saying, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? Can you throw me a lifeline? Because for so long, I'm like, I can't, I can't let anyone know that I don't know what I'm doing or, you know, and, and now I'm like, I am 38 years old. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know who to go to. And I know when to tap out and raise my hand and say, I'm over my skis here. I, I need to bring in outside resources. And I think people appreciate that more than you just kind of clunking along and, and nodding yes and, and pretending that you know what you're doing. So I'd say, you know, also to add on to what you're saying, you know, really targeted, um, personalized approach, but don't be afraid to be vulnerable at all. Like, like as we said before, we're all, hey, guess what? We're all humans. <laughs> we're all humans. 100% Sager. One of the most freeing things about being a founder is that you have a completely understandable reason to be doing tons of things that you know nothing about. Mm -hmm. And so you can very honestly get on a phone call with people and just go, I don't know what I'm doing. I would really love your help and advice. I came with several questions and please tell me what I'm missing. <laughs> and it's so ama it's amazing the type of like people that you'll connect with when you go and approach it that way. I have, if you looked at, you know, some of the, my closest customers and, and friends, if you looked at us on paper, we couldn't view the world through a more different lens. And I love that about our friendship. I absolutely love it because I it just, we put all, you know, kind of pretenses aside and you just come and have a conversation and you meet people where they are. And it's amazing what bubbles to the surface when you're willing to put ego um, in the backseat, for sure. Absolutely. That's great. Sager, that was a great, that's a great piece of advice. Yeah. Well, it took me like literally 35 years to, um, to follow it myself. So anyone out there in their 20s, <laughs> there you go. Cliff Notes to Life by Sager Fisher. <laughs> so where can folks, you mentioned folks should feel free to reach out to you. Thank you so much. That's so helpful. Where else can folks find more information about you, um, about Spoken, um, so we can link those notes uh, in the show notes. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn, Mariel Davis, M-A-R-I-E-L Davis. Uh, and to hear more about Spoken, uh, you can check out our website. We're getspoken.com and Spoken is spelled without the E. So it's G-E-T-S-P-O-K-N.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure. You are such a gift. I love talking to you. We need to do it more often. I hope to see you soon. Uh, and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with, uh, with the listeners. Thank you so much for having me, Sager. And to anyone listening to this, good luck on your ventures.